appreciate that. It's good to be in Pittsburgh. First time to Pennsylvania. Can you believe that? Been to almost every state of the Union, but the first time ever to Pennsylvania. And I get to go to the gates of hell while I'm here. I do. You can't. You, who could ask for more, right? Who could ask for more? I just want to say that it's an honor to be here. It's our first trip to uh, Band of Brothers. And, uh, you know, I, I, I understand you never know what the future holds, but uh, I brought my, uh, my inner circle with me. And uh, if I could take just a moment of personal privilege, I'd like to introduce to you some guys that drove 12 hours to be here in Pittsburgh. Guys, would you just stand up? These are, these are my leaders from Legacy. And I, I, I love you guys. I appreciate you. I, all the, all the time you had to take off, and I know others of you did that as well, and, and we esteem uh, your commitment to be here. And uh, the things that I'm going to be sharing with you this afternoon, I want you to know that these men, I can say this uh, without embellishment, these men uh, epitomize what I'm going to be sharing with you, and they have found themselves with me in some challenging circumstances, and uh, we're still together. So uh, that, that says a lot about them. Um, we are in Charleston. I've been married 29 years. The first woman, the same woman. 29 years. I have three children, two older sons, who are both serving God in the ministry. I have a high school daughter who uh, goes to Christian school currently, loving Jesus. And so, yes, it can be done. Your kids can, can go through this world and they can still uh, love God and love the Lord. I want to just say real quickly out loud as well that uh, it is an absolute honor to have your name breathed amongst men like uh, Pastor Rod Aguilar and uh, Pastor Keith Tusi and uh, Dr. Ron, wherever Dr. Ron is. I want you to know you guys, man, you're heroes. I hope every man in this room redefines whatever their definition of hero is. You guys are some of my heroes. And uh, years ago when I was going through some of the last of my schooling, they gave me this gigantic church history book by J. Kenneth Latterett called The History of Christianity. And, you know, it's about yay thick, a thousand pages per volume. And uh, it's typed in about, you know, if you have Microsoft Word, you know, about seven. <laughs> That's the size of the type. And we had to read all of those volumes and just, just being buried with information about church history. And I came to understand as I continued my studies in that area that really the move of God is not found on the main pages. I'm finding that it's found in the footnotes. God's work sometimes doesn't get on the front page, although some of you have made the front page, I hear. But some of you have never heard of groups like the Huguenots and the Waldensians, and you've not heard about how God has moved through groups and men and people. They don't get on the main pages of history. They, they make the footnotes. And as I began to see that, I just said to the Lord one day, I said, Lord, I don't know if I'll ever get my face on anything important. I don't know if I'll do anything notable. I, I don't know what all you have for me. But if I could just make it into the footnotes, that I could carry that torch of testimony, I'd be happy. And I want you guys to know this is, this is the highest honor that can come from me, guys. Your footnote men. And I love hanging around you. Amen. 
Well, today I want to uh, share what I've called a culture of allegiance. I don't know about you, but I have been stirred by what I've heard. I am ready to go take over something. I'm ready to go, you know, and we're all ready to take over something. And most of us don't have dominion over our church nurseries yet. So, but I'm just, I'm fired up. I'm fired up to take over something. And as I was listening to everything that God was saying through, through, you know, the small group sessions, as well as the main sessions, it's just so amazing how God puts together this thread, how they all fit together. And I listened to Pastor Keith talk about getting to the foundations and learning to tackle again and block again and, and get some of these things down. And I heard Dr. Ron just impassionately share with us the greater vision of the church and its voice. And, and I thought, well, I, I, I want to bring something, and I'm going to now, that I've entitled a culture of allegiance. Because to be candid, guys, we're not going to take anything until we become the army of God. And to become the army of God, it's not something you trip into. It's not something you stumble into. It's not something that's just sort of dropped in your lap or you walk down an aisle and you signed a card and you shook a hand and now you're part of the army. It's not how it works. And there are certain things that happen that forge us into the church and into the movement that we will need to be in order to get back to the place that God has called us to to exercise dominion. And guys, I'm just telling you, he that's faithful with that which is lesser will be given that which is greater. And until some of us learn dominion principles at a personal level, like, like, like overcoming just our, our little sins and, and the sins that so easily beset us. I mean, if we can't exercise dominion over our eyes, how are we going to get the eyes of the culture? So these are the things that we've got to begin to look at. And I'm here long term. Now, hear me. I believe Jesus could come any moment. That's my eschatology. I call myself an optimistic premillennialist. <laughs> and while I believe Jesus could come at any moment, I believe that. I also know that he looked at his disciples and me and said, occupy until I come. And I'm committed to the totality of his word, so therefore I'm about his business. And so I want to share some things with you that I hope will be a blessing. And, uh, and I'm going to do this quickly, so if you'll listen fast, we'll get through this quickly. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 38. I'm going to be talking about a culture of allegiance. A culture of allegiance. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 38. I just want to read these few words. It says, all these men of war. If you ever wondered where it was in the Bible, there you go. All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel and all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. Most of you have been taught, I suspect, somewhere through your journey the story of David. We heard just a little bit more about that uh, this morning as well in one of our small group sessions. David, as you will recall, was destined to be a king after Saul had forfeited his right to give leadership to the nation of Israel. And uh, through circumstances, the relationship fractured between Saul and David. David ends up being on the run and he goes to the caves of Adullam. And it was there at the caves of Adullam it says men, 400 of them, began to gather to him. It's interesting, those passages, because it says that these men 
were discouraged, they were distressed, and they were in debt. Now, I don't know about you, but I can qualify for that list right there. And even now, as I just look across this great group of men, I, I want to share something with you. I want you to know today, I don't care how you came into this conference. And just take it from a guy who's been a pastor in the palace and has been now pastor in the mall. I know what it's like to be at the top of the heap and I know what it's like to be in the middle of a cave. I know what it's like to have cave dwellers with me. There is no disrespect to any of the men that I brought down the road with me. They are leaders in my inner circle with me, but I can tell you about them as well as they could tell you about me. We weren't all that much when it all got started. We were definitely 3D people. And yet out of the caves of Adullam, and with that kind of start and beginning, God was able to forge something in those men that brought them to the place where they became the elite in the nation. They became cabinet members. They became leaders. They became the ones that the nation would look to and ask for leadership from. And they would be the ones that would give direction. And guys, this is a word for some of you. You came in here and said, who am I? Like Gideon, who am I? Since the Midianites are all around me, who could, who could I be in the midst of this? And I'm telling you, God will pull you out of a cave. And he'll forge something in you if you'll let him do it. And he can give you great, great influence. It was through David and these mighty men that I began to learn some things that I believe are critical. Long before maybe we, we even begin to see the fulfillment of all the other vision, I think there's some things we've got to get into our systems in order that we can be that army that, that once again takes over. And what I want to share with you is, is just so foreign in our Western culture, but in Bible times, it was, it was the norm. And, and as a pastor, I used to wait. I don't know how the other pastors in the room think about this, but there were certain things I always wanted to talk to my people about, but I was always a little bit afraid because I thought they might misunderstand my motives. They might think it was just, you know, just, just, I was just being self-serving. And so there were things I just kind of steered away from because I didn't want to talk about it. And my motive was right because I didn't want them to get the wrong impression. And so I was always waiting for someone to ride over the hill to preach that message. I'm riding over the hill this afternoon to preach that message. Because if we don't get this, guys, we're not going anywhere. Let me tell you how it started for me. I was, I was coming back on an airplane flight from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I was headed home. It was like an all-day flight. I think there were some weather issues. And I finally got to the last leg of my journey. I was in Atlanta. I was getting on the aircraft. I was going back to Charleston. It was the last one home. It had to have been, you know, 1130, 12 o'clock at night. I was tired. Everyone's worn out on the aircraft. I sit down in my seat. And right next to me, this businessman sits down. And I can tell he's worn out too. And we're all just worn out. And everybody's exhausted. And all of a sudden, in this plane... I started noticing that, that young men were coming on the plane, all of them probably between the ages of like 18 and 25. And they're coming on the plane, and they're full of energy. 
I mean, these guys, they're acting like they're going to a party or they've come from a party or, or something. I mean, they're loud, they're obnoxious, they're boisterous. There were some that sat down right in front of us and, and their language was off the chart and, and it was, it was, it was exhausting. It was over the top. It's only a 30 minute, you know, flight from Atlanta uh, to Charleston. And I'm sitting there just saying, Kevin, keep your cool. You're exhausted. Don't do anything in the flesh. But the businessman next to me, I don't think he knew Jesus. And he was getting irritated. And as I was listening to all this activity going on, I was listening to some of the conversations, and then it hit me. These guys, these young men on this aircraft, were Marine recruits going to Charleston to get picked up to go to Paris Island. And I looked at the businessman, because I could see, man, it, he, was, he was getting upset. And I looked at him and I said, listen, I don't know you, you don't know me, but just, just trust me for a moment. If you believe that there's a God in the universe, <laughs> in just a moment, you're going to see justice. And so the plane landed, everybody got off the flight. I'm walking with this businessman. I said, just wait. And all of a sudden, these young men, I mean, I, you could not believe the things they were saying. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, they're free as a breeze. And, 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 and they're just shooting their mouths off just like young adults can do sometimes. But they're waiting for them. All of a sudden was their mama and their papa and their granddad, their drill instructor. He scared me coming off the plane. I was ready to get in the line. And what was amazing, was he didn't holler. He didn't yell. He just had that Marine look. You know how, you, if you've never seen this, you got to come to Charleston to see these guys come back from Paris Island. They're all cut like this. No smile. And they think they can take anything. And this drill instructor got in their face. He's got them lined up. I'm telling you, it's 1230 at night. And what they don't realize is, is that it's a two-hour ride on a bus to Paris Island. They ain't going to sleep tonight. No, sleep. You slept for the last 18 years. It's a new day. And I just, I just had to take a moment and just absorb it. I had 30 minutes of inconvenience, but I wanted at least about 10 minutes of enjoyment. Just watching this whole thing take place in front of me. And some of you that have been through uh, military training and you've gone to your boot camp, you know that in, I think, what, eight weeks maybe, eight weeks, eight weeks, you get a crash course on what it means to be an unstoppable army. Think about that. Eight weeks. Eight weeks they take these young people and they do something. I mean, if we did that in the church, they'd call us a cult. But think about the eight weeks. And I started to think in eight weeks they become ingrained in their mentality and their abilities and their training. In eight weeks, I understand there's probably more that comes with that, but in eight weeks, they lose them and their mindset is nothing can stop us, nothing can beat us. We are an unstoppable force. We are the U.S. Marines, Semper Fi, whatever. And they're eight weeks. 
Guys, I got a graduate degree in church history. It's been centuries for us. And I'm not sure we're the army of God yet. And I think it's because of things that we've even heard already. Just the nuts and bolts of what it means to be in an army. We're never going to be the army until corporately we begin to to arise and say, these are the things that I'm going to value and these are the things that God uses. Now, allegiance. One of the things, now there's many things they learn, but one of the things they learn is the concept of loyalty. Now, if I were to ask most of you or if I were able to go to your church and ask if uh, you considered yourself a loyal person, how many of you know that I bet statistically we'd get it 100%? If I asked you, are you loyal? I mean, who's going to raise their hand and go, no, not me. No, 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 I'm disloyal. I'm actually a betrayer. I mean, I, I mean, I mean that's just, nobody's going to do that. I mean, think about it. Who names their kid Absalom? This is my little kid Absalom here. I mean, really, who names their kid Judas? Who names their kid Demas? Who names their kid the names that we know represent lack of loyalty? And yet our society is full of examples that we really aren't as good at this as we think we are. I'm just going to share things you know. Four out of seven people get a divorce. That's in the church or out of the church. Can I ask about our loyalty levels? Think about this just in everyday life. You can look at either side of the equation. We have companies right now. I'm sure Pittsburgh's been hit by a lot of this. Companies who will lay longtime employees off and just, and just ship jobs to other countries because they, just, they, get, they get a few more dollars. Is there loyalty there? Of course not. Well, what about the employee that quits the job because he gets a quarter raise? Is that loyal? I don't even want to get into the area of sports. Have mercy. I mean, do you know that I grew up in the Chicago area and to this day I still know the lineup of the 1969 Cubs? Because every year you'd come back and you knew the players that were on the team. How many of you know today it changes every season? You can't even count on your team being in your city anymore. Now, 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 I'm not going to dive into the church world quite yet, but, but are we getting the picture? You see, the reason local churches and the body of Christ at large never take cities, we never take regions, the nations are our inheritance, it certainly is our vision, but the reason it never happens is because we have refused in the church to understand some of the simple precepts of being an army, one of which I believe is the power of allegiance. Allegiance. Now, as we're talking here this afternoon, I just want to just open the can and say, how can you be loyal if you were never taught what that means? I mean, we all assume we know what that means, but do we really know what it means? I mean, as I mentioned, we tend to redefine things. And the reason we redefine things is because we want to feel better. And so we redefine it in order that it fits our situation instead of laying hold of the truth and making the changes that we need to make. It's sort of like the concept, I always kind of chuckle at this when I hear it, like loyal opposition. Isn't that oxymoronic? I was in a board meeting one time and I had one of my leaders raise their hand, and this is years ago, none of these guys, and say, well, pastor, let me just be the devil's advocate. 
I said, you know what? I fight him all the time. He doesn't need a lawyer. Now, I know he probably meant well. And I know he probably had a good heart. I mean, I don't know. But I'm just saying, we, we just, we redefine everything and it's time we defined it right. Loyalty is closely synonymous with faithful. But I think this is the difference. Faithful is what you do. Loyalty is who you are. Loyalty is your heart. Faithful can be your acts. Now I put on the screen overhead... The dictionary definition, it's a feeling or an attitude of devoted attachment. A feeling or an attitude of devoted attachment. And so there's something that needs to happen in order for us to have a devotion to one another, a devotion to our leaders. And the cool thing that I'm sensing here is that is that there is an enlarging of this devotion to where we're networking and we're interacting. And all of a sudden there's this there's I don't I can't explain it. I look at Pastor Rod and I look at the guys in the network, Pastor Keith and Pastor Rick. I look at these guys and I'm finding myself devotedly attached. That's good. It's how it's supposed to work. See, Jesus even told us in Matthew 12, put it up there on the screen. In Matthew 12, it says that a kingdom divided against itself. And he goes on to say that a house divided against itself can't stand. Now, how can you be an army if your house isn't standing? Allegiance. Now, there are always going to be flawed people in our lives. Isn't that true? Amen. I... I, 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 I always chuckle when I see the bumper sticker that says, you know, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. I, I just give you a clue. I, I, it, it's, I hate that bumper sticker. Because what it says is, it, it says, don't really watch how I live. And, and here's the sad part. Most of us through the years in the church, maybe not you, but I'm just speaking broadly. We've lived up to that doctrine, haven't we? The only doctrine we live up to is the one on depravity. That's the one we live up to. Now, there's always flawed people. None of us are perfect. We all got clay feet. We're all human beings. But we're going to attempt to be an army. So let's talk about this. In the church, listen to me, our allegiance goes to Christ and his kingdom first, obviously. But most of you, I trust, have been taught that, that God not only has his direct authority in our life, but there's delegated authority in our life. God confronts us on several fronts. He confronts us directly. He can speak to us and minister to us, and, and that is valid and it is good. He confronts us through His Word. That's good. But the Scripture tells us that He has provided for us spiritual authority as well, which we would link to, to, to pastors and apostles and, and, and leaders within the body of Christ. So, so there's direct authority, and we know that there's delegated authority. Now listen to me, because this is important. I believe there's direct allegiance, which means my first allegiance is to Him. My first allegiance is to God and to Christ my King. After I've got that one settled, then I begin to find those that God uses in the earth that are true to His Word, that are hearing the voice of God, that I can link up with. They're delegated in their authority, but I need to understand that as I sow allegiance toward these men, that God begins to work in that that causes us to be the army in order that we might go forward, not as a bunch of independent, sort of shotgun, scattered shot people and, and, and churches, but suddenly we, we, with laser focus and with rifle accuracy, begin to hit the mark 
of what He's wanting to do in all of our lives. And so I'm going to go through this rapidly. I'm going to give you some purposes for this. I, I, you know, I, I look at life through lists. I mean, my wife gives me a bad time all the time. She says, Kevin, you just, you just outline everything. I said, well, it's true. I just, if, if you don't come with an outline, if there's someone preaching and they don't have an outline, I'll outline it for them. I'll just, I'm over there outlining it for them. That's just how I see life. So I'm going to give you just some real quick bullet points here about the purpose. Why is allegiance important? The purpose, number one, I believe it's the principal qualification aspect for every leader. I mean, would you marry someone you thought would betray you? You say, I did. Well, what that means is, is that your next shot, you can do better. Amen? Because nobody signs up for betrayal. Would you hire a person for your business that you knew would betray you? Well, no, nobody's going to do that up front. And we've got to understand that I'm not going into battle except with people that I can count on. That there's an allegiance there. I don't want them dropping their shield and running off the field. When I'm in the middle of a fight. See, loyalty qualifies us, I believe, for covenant. Covenant doesn't even start until we settle the loyalty issues. David and his army of mighty men, it says here, came to him at Hebron. The old King James Version, I believe, said perfect heart. Isn't that interesting? Perfect heart. I haven't followed the etymology in this one, but I, I, I just want to throw this out to you. Could it be that when you're loyal, you finally find the place of a perfect heart? That's how, that's how his mighty men came to him. They were loyal. We link with the loyal. Don't link with the double-minded. Don't link, link with the ambiguous. Don't link with the confused. What happens is, is you, just, you end up getting nothing done. You're, just, you're in the paralysis of analysis. You're always just wondering, where do we go? It is, better, it is just better sometimes to just take something than to just analyze everything and then do nothing. All right? Two. I believe allegiance is important because you can't wage spiritual war effectively. You can't go into battle with someone you can't count on. I'll just put it, I'll just give you this one name, Benedict Arnold. I mean, all of us know instantly his name is infamous because he was a betrayer. And you need people. Pastors need people. Come on now, guys. This is, this is what I'm, I'm telling you. This is when you're going to find some things that you've been looking for all your life. We need people who can stand against the duplicity of the enemy that comes even in our own ranks. So we wage war with allegiance. Number three, it's who you release important areas of responsibility to. You need to have confidence as a leader that those under you will be diligent to follow the plan and purposes outlined for them. You can't give important things to, to people whose loyalty is questioned. You know, I, I'm not a big uh, NBA fan. I, I like the NFL. I'm not a big NBA fan, but most of you know how now the Miami Heat has their three big guys. And I don't know. I know Jordan went down there. I don't know the other two. Who are the other two, Tyler? James Wade and Bosh. And they're superstars, right? They're, they're pretty good ball players. I started thinking about that because I just heard on the news because it was a big deal that they lost their first game. They got three superstars. They lost their first game. And here's the question for the Miami Heat. Are you going to be a team? Or are three of you going to play one-on-one -on -one basketball? And that's our churches. Are you going to be a team? Or is everybody just going to play their one-on-one -on -one games? we got to give the loyal responsible areas. Number four, I believe allegiance is important because it expands our influence through that team. 
It's interesting in the Bible. These are the passages. I always like looking at the passages that no one preaches on. You know, I'll be honest with you, Rick. I've never preached on that pisseth on a wall thing. I have never preached on that passage. So I'm just telling you, that's new revelation. I've just, I, I have heard things at this conference that I have never heard in all my life. There's another passage of Scripture, interesting enough. 1 Kings chapter 2. Won't take time to read it to you, but interestingly, David's passing off the kingdom to Solomon and he pulls his son over to the side. And he whispers in his ear. He says, come here, I'm going to tell you some things. Now, nobody preaches this. It's in the Bible. Solomon. Joab didn't always obey me. Kill him. Now, this other guy... You can probably keep him. But then he gets to Shimei. Kill him. Have you ever heard a sermon on that? I had never heard a sermon on that. I would have liked to apply that a time or two. But I, I, I've, never, I've never heard a sermon on that. But you understand. I mean, some of you are, you know, you're smart about biblical history. You understand that when, 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 when families switched and when, when administrations changed, how, how they worked out any allegiance issues was you just killed off the rest. That's how they did it. What's the precept there, though? What's the precept that's trying to be communicated? It's this. You can't run a kingdom on disloyal people. And guys, I'm just telling you here, there's, there's such purpose in the air and there's, there's such passion and energy in this place and, I, and, I'm, and I'm listening and I'm getting fired up and I'm fired up about getting up early in the morning and going to the gates of hell and I'm, I'm fired up about all of this. But if we don't get the Christianity 101 down, we'll stand before hell and it really won't make much difference because we got hell going on back at the church. Number five, I believe allegiance is important because to develop a large, cohesive ministry that impacts cities and regions, you got to have loyal folk. God raises up ministries of size. Listen to this. I don't believe that numbers are everything, but I do believe numbers have a place. A place. Not the place. A place. And I believe God raises up ministries of size because there can be, if done right, another level of impact that takes place in the culture. That's why, listen, we need large and healthy ministries. It's not either or. It's both and. And then number six, and this is the one where if, if, if you know, I, since 1989, I've been in charismatic full gospel circles, and this is the one that everybody can shout and, and take your shoes off and throw it at the stage. This is the one right here. Allegiance provides a full reward because those men in that cave at Adullam, although they came messed up, dysfunctional, they had all of these problems. They came to the cave. All they had was their heart. And listen to me. All David had was a vision. Think about that for just a moment. Folks had asked me, and if you know my story, there, I started Legacy at Ground Zero. We didn't have a paper clip to our name. 
I can't go through the whole thing, but I mean, it doesn't get any lower than we started. And I remember standing up before just this real small group of people and looking at them and saying this, all I've got to offer you, I don't have a kid's ministry. I don't have a McDonald's playground. I don't have a cool facility. I don't have air conditioning. I don't have a thing. I don't even know where we're meeting next week. But what I do have is I've got a vision. And if you've got a heart and I've got a vision... We can change a region. And you'd be surprised how quick people will drop out their checkbook. Or, well, nowadays, they'll get their e-giving going, you know, and they'll... But they linked, and out of that linking in those meager beginnings, some of you right now, guys, you're in churches of... Uh, you know, they're just small churches, small works getting started. And you know what? Isn't this a wonderful place? And Rick and his people have done such a magnificent job and excellence reeks everywhere you go. And you say to yourself, oh, I wish I had that. And I wish I had that. And I wish I had that. You know what? We can all wish anything, but that's God. God doesn't use the shell. He uses the heart and the vision. And I'm talking to some of you that are in small works right now. I'm telling you, you're in the caves of Adullam, but God's fixing to yank you out of those caves. I like one of my favorite quotes is from Tozier. Who said this? Listen, he said, God is hiding his heroes. And the day will come when they will arise. And the world will wonder where they came from. They're coming out of malls and old school buildings. They're coming out of storefronts. They're coming out of hotel ballrooms. That's where they're coming from. Amen. Now, understand, the world isn't going to understand loyalty. 2 Timothy 3, 4 says, in last days there's going to be covenant breakers. There's going to be traitors. And, 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 and when you start getting this, and you start functioning in it, hear me, I'm just going to prepare you. If you haven't already been labeled as this, I'll just get you prepared. People will think you're cultic and mindless. And I mean, how can you just blindly follow this stuff. Well, I'm not following it blindly. My eyes are wide open and I like what I see in here. But the world, it says they'll be covenant breakers and traitors. So the question is, how do we discern it? I've only got a few moments, but in these few moments, I'm going to give you something really super practical that can absolutely change churches, I believe, when, they, when you go home today. Number one, a loyal person this is how we discern loyalty. A loyal person, number one, will not be neutral when crisis hits. It's on the screen, isn't it? Will not be neutral when crisis hits. Now, I'm going to say something here. There's an appropriate place of keeping your nose out of other people's fights. But when there's an unsubstantiated attack on your church or on your pastor, there's no neutral. Don't, don't, don't at that moment say, well, you know, there's two sides to every story. You know, I found out that oftentimes there's not two sides to every story. <laughs> it's my side and it's the right side. You know, you've heard that. Having two sides to every story is true somewhere in the middle. No, it's not. Sometimes, sometimes we're right. We're right. You know, it's interesting that the word slothful in Scripture, it's oftentimes translated Lazy, but that's really not true. You know what slothful means? If you follow its etymology, it literally means weak to choose. We would call that neutral. 
You're too weak to make a decision. You're too weak to choose. And it's time that we gathered men, and I want to just affirm my guys, because some of them have been in some amazing, difficult circumstances that have stood up for me when it would probably have been easier for them to just cut me loose. And I want to affirm them publicly, but there comes a moment, guys, that if, that if we want to go forward and make a difference in our culture, then it's time to cover the colonels and the generals, and it's time for us to just declare our allegiances and say, I'm with him. He ain't perfect. I understand he ain't Jesus. I get that. I just let everybody know, guys, I ain't Jesus. I've lived up to that doctrine too. But we are going forward. I don't need neutral people. I need people that are on the team. Number two, loyalty means I'm going to fully trust the person that I'm loyal to. I've had folks, I'm just telling you through the years, that have said, Pastor, I'm not sure I can trust you. Well, let's examine that. Why? Have I done something? Tell me. If you just had somewhere in your resume a bad church experience, can I just share this with you? If you've been in church life over a week, you will have a bad church experience. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, we all have. And pastors have too. Do you not think pastors don't struggle with trusting you? Trust is certainly a two-way street. So loyalty entails some level of trust. Number three, allegiance stands with you on your worst day. You know, loyalty, when everything's going good and you stand, and, and you stand for that, it's easy. You never know if you're loyal until it's a bad day. See, you never know if you're submitted until someone says no to you. I mean, there are certain concepts that are theory until it hits a moment. And at that moment, that's when the value is demonstrated. You see, Jesus, I believe, learned a lot about his disciples when the heat was put on. See, we never knew about Judas until the heat got put on, right? Never knew about Peter until the heat got put on. And you see, we'll never know about you until the heat gets put on. I know you say what's right, but the question is, will you do this on the worst day. Number four, I believe that loyalty means unwilling to betray or uncover clay feet. The hardest part I've found about betrayal is, is when those you bring in close, whom you brought into the inner circle, of whom no confidences, and you've dealt with tough issues, and you've had to deal with people, and you've had to you know, share your opinion, and then they use that against you when they no longer want to be with you. That's not, that's not, that's not remotely loyal. Now, now hear me, I don't, I don't believe in cover-ups. If there's unrighteous things going on, I don't believe in a cover-up. But there is an appropriate place in humanity that there is love covers. And, and so you just need to be sure that, that, you know, you're handling things well. Number five, got to hurry. We'll refuse to entertain criticism and extinguish unfounded criticism. You know, as I was working through this, I began to realize that I just don't let people criticize my spouse without making it clear whose side I'm on. I, I mean, if, if it's about you or her, her. I've had people look at me and say, you're going to choose, you're going to be choosing between your wife and this, this, this. Well, this is easy then. Her. Her. So, so you, you've got to extinguish that. You've got to, you got to take care of it. And, and we got to let that go. Number six, you can't waver again when there's a season of challenge. Guys, I tell you what's happening here in this place. God's raising up pillars. Because the men of the church have been in times past reeds. He's raising up pillars. 
The mighty men didn't retreat on David. Their exploits are forever recorded. They, they became David's top leaders. I want to share this. I, I'd written this down because I really wanted to say this publicly. Most of you know, I'm sure your pastors mentioned it, about the situation a number of weeks ago, which wasn't too far from us down in Jacksonville, Florida, where the pastor, Terry Jones, just at a little church down there, decided he was going to have Berna Koran Day. And all of a sudden, the weight of the Philistine media swooped down on him. I'm going to share this with you. I don't know. I'm just saying it out loud. I don't know that I'd have chosen that type of method because burning books just smacks wrong with me. But, but can, I'm just going to say it out loud. You understand Bibles are burned every day in the world. And nobody's, nobody's threatening, you know, others' lives and things like that. So, so let's just make sure it's clear. And, and let's make sure we also understand this. Despite the fact maybe we wouldn't have chosen that particular direction. Do you understand? He, he had a verse, Deuteronomy 7, 5. God tells us that when we tear down the high things and when we cleanse out the images, it says burn the detestable thing. Now, I understand the day we're living in that to say what I'm about ready to say, it's, it's absolutely non-politically correct. But folks, Muhammad is not it. And the Quran is a lie. There's still only one way. He is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through Him. Now listen. Now, and in the middle of all that, I cannot explain it, but a compassion came out of me as I watched that scenario unfold. Because there were two things I knew that was going on. Number one is, I knew that he had no one. I can tell you this by the Spirit. There wasn't anybody giving him counsel. He was all by himself. And the second thing that I had compassion on him about is that there was nobody that was going to stand with him. And my heart was crushed for that. And I was with a group of pastors not long ago, and I looked at them in the room, and we were talking about this, and everybody had an opinion. But I looked at them, and I told them this. I said, if there's ever a day, because there's going to be a line. You understand, there's a line coming out there somewhere that all of us are going to look at and say, we, we, we're not compromising with this line. There's going to come a moment where it's going to be crystal clear we're not going to do this, and we're going to have to make a stand. And, and the question is, will anybody stand with me? And I'm just declaring it out loud to my brethren that are here. If I know and you need someone to stand with you, hey, it's time we stood together. You know what the Philistine media did at that moment? What it did was it sent a message to all of us. It tried to that said, this is what we'll do to you if you try to stand. And you know what we all need to do? We all need to say this. The next time, there's because I guarantee you, if one man would have stood, and then there were two men that stood, and then five men that stood, and like you had mentioned, if all of a sudden 100, 200, 500 pastors stand, you watch that Philistine media back off. That's the power of loyalty and allegiance. And then finally, number seven, and i got to hurry a loyal person realizes that to be loyal to someone means redefining other relationships. You know, for me, when I was a single guy, I had the option of having all sorts of girls who were friends. But the minute I got married, it redefined all of those relationships. Now, that's revelation maybe for some guys here. That the minute you get married, it redefines all of your relationships. It redefined all my men relationships as well. Because you know what? I don't be bopping out of the house without calling the social secretary. Yeah. 
and saying, baby, I've, I've got this opportunity. And she says, well, you know, on the calendar, we'd had this and I need you to be. And I said, okay. And you know what? It redefined everything in my life. When I decided I was going to covenant with this woman, everything in my life. Guys, again, I'm not saying it's mindless or, or anything like that, but do you understand if you're going to covenant for a battle, it redefines everything. It redefines all of a sudden. If, if your best buddy is constantly criticizing your pastor or criticizing your church or criticizing what it's all about, there's going to come a moment and you're going to come to a crossroad that you're going to say, you know what? Apparently, I'm not influencing him. So you know what? It's time that I worked on someone else. Because you know what? You can't sit with that happening all the time. It, re it ought to redefine all our relationships. If someone comes after Pastor Keith, Pastor Rod, these guys that I know, if someone comes after them, there comes a moment. I, you know what? It's, it's no longer. I'm with you. I'm with you, Pastor Rod. I'm with you. See, this is, what we're this is how an army works. Now, I want you just to check your heart. I'm going to wrap up here right here. And just ask yourself this question. First, am I loyal to my God and Christ my King? Really, no negotiations, no. No wavering. This is settled. This is settled. He has me. I've signed a blank contract, gave it to him and said, Lord, fill it in for the rest of my life. I don't have to see it or know it or you don't have to somehow negotiate it out with me. I'm in. And then secondly, am I or can I be loyal to this ministry and pastor as we work together for the kingdom of God? It was April 1940. Germany was rumbling into Denmark. And as a part of their occupation, all of the Jews of Danish descent had to wear a yellow Star of David on their shirts. Failure to comply with the Nazi order meant instant death. Now, Denmark was just this little nation. Couldn't battle with powerful Germany. And interestingly, the name of the king, his name was King Christian. King Christian X, actually. And he did something that was just out of the norm. He literally risked his life. He called on every Danish household to wear a yellow star. Can you imagine the potential fear? They might think I really am a Jew. I might be misunderstood and he might take me in the cattle cars. I mean, can you imagine that, that, that people would begin to ask themselves, well, if I do this, will my neighbor do this? Or how many of us are going to do this? I mean, if there's enough people that'll do it, I'll probably get involved. But if there ain't that many, I don't know that I'm going to put my name on the line. Can you imagine all the questions that would go through the population? Would they pick me up? Would they kill me? Interestingly, when it came time to implement, the miracle was people wore these stars everywhere. The Jewish population openly wept as they saw this love and this support. And suddenly Germany couldn't cart the Jews there in Denmark off because... Everybody was Jewish. The people, listen, were the, was their conviction? Sure. Did they have to wrestle it out themselves? Sure. But can I just say, a king, listen, listen, I know an earthly king gave an order. And the power of allegiance came together. And it stopped Nazi occupation. 
Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine that happening in America today. I told my guys, I said, guys, I'm just telling you, we're coming to a day that in our city, the jail's at Leeds Avenue. And I looked at him, I said, are we ready for Leeds Avenue Church? Now, I'm not trying to frighten anybody here. And I understand everybody's got to determine that. I understand we're all priests unto God. But I'm telling you, if you're catching the spirit of what we're trying to share, all of us have come to the kingdom for this time. This time, history will judge us. If Jesus tarries, history will judge us. And I plan to be in the footnotes of what God did in the 21st century. Pastor Rick, it's yours. God bless you guys. I love you. Come on, let's give it up.